last week we, we focused on what is biblical repentance as it relates to salvation. Now, this morning we're going to look at biblical repentance as it relates to sanctification. But, but if you weren't here, really quick, it's really important that we lay a foundation. Biblical repentance, right? That word repent, depending on your church upbringing, your, your church background, that can be kind of a loaded, kind of a heavy word. Probably not a happy word, I'm guessing, right? What you've seen on TV, your own experiences, when I say repent, how many of you go, woohoo! Right? Doesn't, doesn't connote that. It doesn't create that positive, joyful emotion, which really it is. We'll see in the New Testament. But, but we looked at, 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 even with the best of intentions, if we don't understand biblical repentance, even with the best of intentions, we may be communicating the gospel to people a little bit inaccurately. Right? And we saw this phrase that many of us in some form may have used, right? Repent of your sins and you will be saved, right? We, we, some of us have shared that before and we looked at this and we're not going to do it in depth this week again. But repent of your sins and you will be saved. We looked last Sunday in depth that, you know, biblically, that, that's pretty challenging. That's actually biblically incorrect in some ways. Because... What's the basis of our salvation? Faith. Faith. And so when you say to someone, even with the best of intentions, okay, we're not, we're giving benefit of best of intentions. Hey, you, you need to repent of your sins and you will be saved. You can inadvertently be misleading them. That's called what they call front loading the gospel. Meaning you have to do something first. Right? You have to do something first. You repent, and then you will be saved, right? And we saw that this is, one of the challenges with this is this, this statement is kind of based on, on a heavy Old Testament definition of repentance. In the Old Testament, it's pronounced shuv, and it means literally to turn back or return, a literal changing of direction or metaphor for radical change, right? So in the Old Testament, when someone said repent, it meant to turn, it was, it was sort of a focus on external behavior, what you were doing, turn from evil, turn to good. Uh, Ezekiel 14.6, therefore say to the house of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says, repent, turn from your idols, and renounce all your detestable practices. So that's, I'm guessing, when you hear repent, that's pretty much the definition that you're more familiar with, you latch on to, right? Turn or burn, anyone? Right? You try to like scare people. In, in, into heaven, you know, this, this wrath of God, turn, right? And we saw that in the New Testament, there's actually a very specific, very different nuanced definition of, of repent, repentance. And it says this, a change of mind, change of mind on reflection, not an intellectual decision, but a change of mind, very important, that results in a change of behavior. It's a lifestyle, not a, just a one-time decision, Right? It's a change of mind that leads to a change of view of sin and desire to live a holy life. So in the New Testament, when you're called to repent, first and foremost, it's a changing of your mind and heart regarding Jesus. And out of that change of mind and heart regarding Jesus, I will have a change, a turning. So the Old Testament definition doesn't go away, but under the New Covenant... Repentance is focused on a change of mind and heart regarding the person of Jesus. Regarding the person of Jesus. Uh, 
Easton's dictionary says this. It's meaning to change one's mind and purpose as a result of after knowledge, which means, you know, I don't know, your upbringing, my upbringing may have been different. At some point, we formed opinions, thoughts about Jesus. And somewhere along the line, I'm guessing someone shared the Bible with you and began to discuss who Jesus is. And at a certain point, you changed. You had a change of mind about Jesus being Savior, Messiah, Jesus being the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Maybe you thought that Jesus was just a good religious teacher. Maybe you thought he was just, you know, one of the prophets. Maybe you thought that Jesus didn't even live. But at some point, someone shared Scripture. The Holy Spirit opened your understanding, and you had a change of mind and heart about Jesus. And included in that change of mind and heart about Jesus was also a change of mind and heart about sin, the nature of sin, and salvation being uh, by grace through faith, not by works, right? And so, and so as we move forward, and we saw last week that in the New Testament, repentance is focused on Jesus, on Jesus first and foremost. In fact, we saw in the Gospel of John, Gospel of John is written specifically to who? Unbelievers. So that they would come to faith in Jesus. In Gospel of John, chapter 20, says this. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may what? Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by what? Believing you may have life in his name. Do you know that this one gospel that is written specifically to unbelievers to come to faith in Christ, the word repent does not even show up. The word repent does not exist, does not appear in the gospel of John. Because it's by what? Faith. Believing. Right? The first sermon when the church was launched after Pentecost when Peter is speaking and, and 3,000 get, people get saved, he's, this, his sermon says this. We looked at it last week. Hey, you know that Jesus who you crucified, by the way, God raised him from the dead. And they say, what must we do to be saved? And what does Peter say? Repent. What is he saying? Change your mind. You know this guy that you, you hated and you killed? He's now raised to life. God has made him now Lord and Savior. You need to repent, which means change your mind about this guy. Right? Galatians 2 says, We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by what? Faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. So really what we saw last week is that repentance and faith, they're inseparable. If you want to call it, they're two sides of the salvation coin. Two sides of the salvation coin, right? They're both demonstrated by our actions, James 2, 17. In the same way, faith by itself, it is not accompanied by action, is dead, right? Luke 3, 8, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Both of them should bear fruit. Both of them in our life. Genuine faith, genuine repentance should be manifested in our life. The turning, the, the turning aspect, right? There should be fruit. There should be evidence. Both are rooted in what? The word of God and the work of the Holy Spirit. Romans ten seventeen. Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ, right? John seventeen seventeen. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth, right? In John 16... 7 through 9, Jesus says, but I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I am going away. 
Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment in regard to sin because what? Men do not believe in me. Right? So, so repentance at its core, you preach the word of God. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who brings understanding, who brings that change that, oh, my gosh, I get it. Right? Second Timothy 2 says this, And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct, in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. It's right. It's a work of God. Remember when, when Jesus asked, hey, hey, who do people say I am? Right? And the guy says, well, some St. John the Baptist, I'm Elijah, Jeremiah. And then he asked, but who do you say I am? Right? And Simon Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Right? Matthew 16. And then verse 17, it says this. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. So here's the good news. As we go and we preach the good news of being salvation by faith, it's God who does the work. Amen? We just have to be faithful to speak it truthfully and accurately and to let the Holy Spirit do what only the Holy Spirit can do. Right? How many of you, before you became a believer, had people share with you and you just blew them off? Didn't want to hear it. Maybe got offended, got angry, don't want to hear it. And then suddenly... Lo and behold, bing! Right? Who did that? God. The Spirit. Right? They were faithfuling. They were spreading seed. They were watering. They were sharing. But it was only a work of God in you and me that went, bunk, opened our eyes. The good news is God wants all of us to come to repentance. Right? I love this. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish everyone to come to what repentance it's god's heart it's god's heart right and i shared last week i I shared with you my own story my own testimony in this journey of salvation that you know growing up in the church and then someone opening the bible and saying hey you know what um this is who jesus is he's the way the truth and the life right and 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 john even john 316 i had no clue john 316 existed I grew up in the church. I had no clue what John 3.16 was, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I saw it on football games behind the goalposts. I had no clue what it meant. And I had no clue growing up that it, that applied to me, right? So uh, someone shares the Bible, that verse with me, and I begin to go, okay, Jesus, Jesus, wow. Okay, that's different. Wow. Not, not, not what I thought. And then sin, this idea of sin, this righteousness comes from, from God, comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, right? Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So this idea of me being a sinner? Anyone ever try to share with you that you were a sinner? How'd that go? Did anyone embrace you with that? Well, thank you so much. You just made my day. I feel so much better about myself. Right? No. 
Right? So, so this idea is they start sharing Romans 3.23. Hey, all have sinned, including you, Mr. Good Moral Academic Athlete. Really? You're saying I'm a sinner. No, sinners are all the bad guys on TV. How dare you call me a sinner? Right? So I had to wrestle with scriptural truth. I had to wrestle with that. And what I thought, my preconceived ideas about God and, and sin and me. Right? And then they share... This big one, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. Oh, it's like the trifecta. It's Jesus, I'm a sinner, and there's nothing I could do to earn heaven. Yeah. I was confronted with the word of God. Just, dude, guys, they weren't, they weren't browbeating me. They weren't, they, they were just sharing. Hey, dude, here's the Bible. Read it for yourself, right? And, and I, I didn't realize what they were doing when they actually had me read it for myself. That was pretty powerful. I remember some guys were like, you know, they tried to share. I'm like, dude, really? Where do you get that? So they would actually open their Bible. And they would say, hey, come here. Read this. <laughs> you know how you read with attitude because you don't like what you're reading. <laughs> by grace, you say two things. Now, this is how you say it. Not by works, no one can else. Right? And that, yeah, yeah. What they were doing is they were bringing me face to face with the truth of Scripture and the Holy Spirit's work in me through Scripture. That's what, that, that's, that's what, that's what they were doing. And, and, and over time, I wrestled with these. These are the three core truths that I had to really wrestle with that changed my worldview, that was really challenging my paradigm of how I viewed the world, right? How I viewed myself, how I viewed how you get to heaven. It was really a paradigm shift. It was really... And at some point, I shared, you know, okay, okay, Lord, yes. And so I had a change of mind. I had a change of heart regarding Jesus, right? And here's the faith step. I still had to put my faith. I still had to come to the place of faith, of resting fully on Jesus. Right? I can have a bunch of head knowledge. I could say, yeah, yeah, I get it, get it, get it. But until I put my faith, that's the faith. Okay, Jesus, I rest fully on you for salvation. Nothing of myself. I get it. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Amen? Isn't that good news? Good news. Woo! Rest on Jesus. Name and book of life. I'd say that's good news, right? Right? So, so repentance and faith are inseparable. Right? They go together. We saw this wonderful quote by Hal Lindsey. It says, repentance as it relates to Christ means to change our minds about him, who he is, what he's done to provide forgiveness and deliverance from our sins. When we place faith in Jesus as having taken our place personally on the cross and borne the penalty to our sins, then we're automatically repenting. Because we couldn't accept him in this way without having had to change our minds in some way concerning him. Okay? So they go together. They go together. But in the New Testament, under the New Covenant, repentance, first and foremost, is about Jesus. It's about Jesus. So that's why I shared, I shared last week. The glorious thing that we can do, you can go to Libya Park right after here, share Jesus with someone. And can they get saved by putting their faith in Jesus? Just their faith in Jesus. It's nothing they have to do. Just believe on Jesus. Change your mind about who Jesus is. Savior of the world. Boom! Isn't that, it's that simple. It's that, that's good news. Now you know why Levi was stoked. Hey! Dudes! 
You know those religious leaders who say we have to jump through hundreds of, 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 of laws and traditions? Come make this Jesus. That's worth a party. If you understand the burden of the Old Testament law and the freedom, right? And so that was last week. <laughs> now we're going to move. But you have to understand this because here's the challenge. Repentance and faith, the moment of salvation, here's the thing. Repentance and faith move forward with you into sanctification. A lot of our challenge as believers might be because we'll say something like, oh yeah, I remember, I repented one day. And you'll remember maybe even the day. The date that you repented and came to Christ. But then you left repentance there. You left repentance at the moment of salvation. And you didn't really know that repentance and faith move forward into sanctification. And we're going to look at that. If you're into church history, you know Martin Luther, right? Father of the Reformation. You remember he went to the church and he hammered those 95 theses, right? Thesis number one, Martin Luther said this. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he called for the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. See, this is already challenging because if you're like me, we mostly have always limited repentance to salvation in terms of conversion, the moment of salvation, being born again. I don't know how many of you have brought repentance forward. When was the last time you as a believer were before the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, I repent. I am repentant. I am repentant over this thing. And, and, and that's, that's really the heart of it. It's a relationship. It's a relationship. And, and in, the, in the New Testament, turn to Revelation if you're, if you're wondering, well, does anyone ever use repent to believers? Well, look at Revelation. Jesus, right? He writes letters to churches. Jesus in Revelation 2 and 3 writes letters to believers, to whole churches. This is Jesus speaking. Revelation 2, right? The church of Ephesus. The church of Ephesus, right? To the angel of the church in Ephesus, right? These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for a name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. What are they supposed to do? Repent. And do the things you did at first. This is Jesus calling an entire church to repent. These are believers he's talking to. And he's saying, hey, you know what? You're real orthodox. You do church services really well. You fend off false teachers, right? Your services are run very orthodox. But here's the deal, guys. You left your first love. I need you to repent. I'm calling you to repent, which means, hey, change your mind. 
about what you're doing. Right? Revelation 2, verse 16, he calls out the church of Pergamum. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the whole sword of my mouth. Revelation 3, he calls out the church at Sardis. Remember, therefore, what you have received and hear and heard. Obey it and repent. So Jesus is speaking directly to these churches. And here's the thing. Here's the challenging part as you look at these. For the most part, these churches and these believers, they thought they were fine. That's what's challenging. They thought they were fine, good to go. Hey, we're doing church well. Jesus says, nah, you left your first love. Hey, we're comfortable. Hey, you know, he says, nah, you're lukewarm. Right? Hey, we're doing good. Nah, you're laying false teachers and false practices in. Repent, repent, repent. He's calling out believers. He's calling out whole churches to repent. Hey, time out. Think about this, change your mind, change your heart about what's been going on here, and then do something about it. Do something about it. And that's, that's I think, a lot of the passivity in, in the church, guys. Right? One of our, one of our favorite verses that, that we've grown up with around here as a, as a church is James 1.22. Right? If you find that, James 1.22. Do not merely listen to the word. And so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Right? Don't just be hearers, but be doers. You know, one of the, well, I was like, Lord, why is there such a disconnect? Why do we come to church? Why do we go to Bible studies? Why do we go to men's group? Why do we go to conferences? And we write notes and we take notes and we get a lot of information, but it doesn't seem to do anything. We just seem to plateau, Right? We spent a year in 2016 talking about transformation, metamorphosis, becoming more and more like who? Jesus, right? And then it says in James 1.22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. That word deceive means delude, to be deluded. So if you come to a Bible study and you open it up and you take notes and you, at the end we say amen and you go, oh, that was good. What's for lunch? According to that verse, you're deceived. You're deluded. Right? And I'm like, Lord, why is that? Why is there such a, seem to be such a disconnect? Why is it now about information and not transformation? Is that what we've become? Just, just the church in America is just give me more and more and more. I need something deeper. Give me something I haven't heard. Make me laugh. What's the video series? You know? The next thing. The next. The next. The next. This was not given for information. It was given for transformation. And how is that? What's the link between hearing and doing? I think part of it is that the church left repentance back at conversion. We repented, but we don't live lives of repentance. Because to live a life of repentance means I have a change of mind and heart according to this, and now I'm going to do something. And now repentance calls me to actually do something with it. Do something. Right? My, my uh, friend, mentor, Pastor Miles, who, who uh, uh, pastors the Rock down in San Diego, grew up with him under ministry. And, and even at the Rock, he would tell his congregation, when you come to this church, you bring your Bibles, you bring a notepad and a pen. 
He said, why do you do that? Because we're going to preach the word of God. And when the word of God is being preached, you have a notepad and you have a pen and you wait for God to talk to you. And when God talks to you, you write it down and you do it. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. He's the one that convicts. So on a Sunday, bring your Bible or your electronic device, whatever you're into, and come prepared to hear from God. And write down what he tells you to do. And then, oh, careful. When? When? Now! Now! Don't put it off. You do it now. Right? I don't know. That will change your church experience. That will change your men's group experience. That will change women's Bible study. You go anywhere you go where the word of God and fellowship is happening and you go with the heart that says, Lord, speak to me. Lord, I'm waiting to hear from you, whether it's through your word or through fellowship. And I'm ready and I'm ready to repent and meaning I'm going to do something with it. Wouldn't that radically change your whole life? Suddenly there's life. Suddenly there's there's this abundant life, this supernatural life that Jesus was talking about. And it's not just more glorified school. Or Bible study. Information gathering. No. You're living a life of repentance. And you're like, Lord, continue to change my mind and my heart. And I want to do things so that I become more and more like who? That's the whole point. That's the whole point, right? Turn to 2 Corinthians 7. So Jesus calls out churches to repent. And in 2 Corinthians 7, the Apostle Paul does the same thing. There is sin in the Corinthian church. Some think it's blatant sin. Some think there's a false teacher who's attacking Paul's ministry. Whatever it is specifically, there is an issue in the Corinthian church that is affecting negatively the body. And Paul says, I'm going to confront this. I'm going to confront this. So he writes a very stern letter calling out the Corinthian church about their behavior. He confronts them. And then he's kind of nervous. He's like, yeah, I don't know how this is going to go. I'm a little bit nervous about their response. You ever, you ever confront someone and you've been nervous about their response? Right? But look what happens. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 8. So Titus comes. Titus comes. And he comes with good news. From the Corinthian church. Paul's nervous, nervous, nervous. Titus went. Titus had communication with them. Titus returns, right? We'll start in verse 6. But God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. Verse 8. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. 
See what this godly sorrow has produced in you, what earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter, right? So verse 8, Paul says, you know, I was a little bit concerned. I didn't know how you were going to respond, right? I know it was going to be painful. I know it was going to be painful. For me to speak the truth in love, right? Verse 9, yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. So he was kind of like, oh, man, I'm kind of bummed because I know this isn't a happy letter. But I'm happy now because, you know what? You received. You received what I said, and it caused you to change. It caused godly repentance. You changed. It was repentance, right? And, and I think about that in our own life. There's a difference between confront, confronting someone in love and condemning someone, right? Romans 8 1 says there's, no, there's therefore now no condemnation. But it doesn't mean that there, there may be times in my life, in your life, where you need to lovingly speak the truth or confront someone with the Bible, right? Proverbs 27, 5 and 6. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen: As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Right? We like to recite those verses, but who? Some of us like to be the confronter. How many of us like to be confronted? Mm. How do we get over that, you know, that sort of... How do I, Lord, how do I receive when someone wants to confront me about something biblically? How do you receive that? A heart of repentance. See? When you leave repentance out of the equation, suddenly it becomes. But when you're like, Lord, I want to live in repentance. I want my life to be in line with your will. Even if it means you're going to speak through someone. Okay, I'll receive that from you because it's from your word. I'll receive that in a heart of repentance, right? In Galatians 2.11, the Apostle Paul called out Peter. If you remember this in Galatians, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Remember Peter, he went to Antioch, and he was all happy as a new believer, a Christian, and he's hanging out with the Jews and the Gentiles. And they're eating. Dietary laws went out of the... Right? So Peter's there, Jews, Gentiles, you're just... Right? This other group... Of, of, they call it of the circumcision shows up and Peter freaks out. And they're like, hey, Pete, what you doing, man? You know the Jews. We don't hang out with them Gentile dogs. And what are you eating, man? And so Peter, he got scared. And over time, he started saying to his Gentile friends, hey, you know what? Can't hang with you anymore. Ooh, got something going. Can't make lunch. So he starts withdrawing from the Gentiles more and more. And his hypocrisy starts affecting Barnabas and others. Paul shows up, sees Peter's hypocrisy, and he says, Hey, Pete, what are you thinking, dude? You're reverting back to the law. You're acting like you used to. He called him out openly in front of everyone. Right? It was, it was confrontation. It was truth. And what did Peter do? Repented. Changed. He said, It was a heart of repentance, right? It's just a heart of repentance. 
And that's what happens to the Corinthians here. Paul sends this stern letter. He's a little bit concerned. Titus says, hey, Paul, it's all good. Godly sorrow led them to repentance. It's all good. It's all good. And I was thinking about that, this idea of repentance, right? And what are some things we do other than repent? What are some things you and I do when repentance, we're just trying to avoid it? Honestly, we're just trying to avoid it, right? And, you know, this is one of them pastoral illnesses where you're like, okay, repentance is R. Maybe there's some R words. I don't know. It just happens, right? So here's some alternatives to repentance that I've seen in my own life and others. Other than repenting, we just stop calling. We refuse to call it sin anymore. If it's not sin, then I don't have to repent. It's an oopsie. It's a mistake. It's a whatever. Right? We refuse to call it sin. We recognize and rationalize. What do I mean by that? Rather than repenting, we're like, oh, yeah, that's my thing. God knows that's my thing. And I've always been that way. So, yeah, we'll recognize it, but then we'll rationalize it away as, ah, it's always been that way. That's just me. That's just me. Right? We might choose to remain at the surface level of relationships. How are you? Fine. How's your week? Good. How's your walk with the Lord? Couldn't be better. What is all that code for? Leave me alone. I don't want to share. That's this code for, let's just keep it. You know, they say in an iceberg, right, 10%, and then there's 90% under the water. So a lot of times we just stay at 10%. Hey, see you tonight. Right? Any prayer requests? Yeah, but not for me, for someone else. Right? So we, can re- we choose to remain at surface level. Religiosity. Rather than repent, we busy ourselves with the church stuff. What else can I do? What more can I do? Well, you're here a lot. I know. What can I do? How about repent? <laughs> I mean, right? I mean, right? Rather than repenting, rather than dealing with things that God's dealing with in my heart, I'm just going to go to the church. There's always weeds to pull at that 4.9 acres. Right? Regret, remorse. Rather than simply repenting, we live in the, anyone ever do this? I can't believe I did that. Hmm? How could you? You not head? Anyone have those conversations with yourself? Right? Regret or remorse. Oh, I feel so bad. Oh, I feel so bad. Not going to change, but I do feel really bad. <laughs> and just being real. I've been here. Rather than repenting, which means changing my mind and heart and doing something different about this behavior, I live in remorse, regret and remorse. And you know what regret and remorse does? It fills your bag of guilt and shame. It just fills it right up. And suddenly, you're carrying around this thing as a Christian. And rather than repenting and the freedom of, of, of being forgiven, amen? 
Just the freedom of bringing it before God and saying, oh Lord, what is 1 John 1, 9? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Rather, coming to God in confession, being open and honest, making a decision to repent, we just throw more regret and remorse into our backpack. Yeah, we're just, we're just walking around like these believers. Hey, want to meet Jesus? He's got a backpack of remorse and regret for you and for you. And you can even use this walker if it gets really heavy, right? Come meet Jesus. Good news. Good news. Backpacks for everyone. Is that what he's talking about? No. But we choose to go down that path when we choose not to what? Repent. Repent, which is a change of mind and heart and action. Everyone say action. Everyone say do something. Ooh. We actually have to do something. Right? Rebellion. Rather than repenting, sometimes you just harden your heart. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Or we run away. Just, ah, I'm tired of church. Yeah. I don't want to repent. I don't want to, ah, I'm just going to do my own thing. I don't have time for church anymore. I don't have time for Bible study. I'm just, I'm, I'm out. Peace out. I'll say hi at Vaughn's, but nah, church isn't for me anymore. We run away. When all along, the answer is right in front of us. What is it? Repentance. Repentance. And I want to share with you, because sometimes I think that's such a heavy word because it's been drilled into us in such a negative way. Look at 2 Corinthians 2.4. Turn to the left a couple. Just 2 Corinthians 2. Paul tells us why he wrote the letter. Okay? Paul tells us why he wrote the letter. 2 Corinthians 2.4. For I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my what? Love. See, the heart of repentance, guys, with Jesus, is love. Jesus isn't, isn't calling us to repentance because he's mad and ticked off and angry that you blew it again, right? He loves you so much that he says, hey, you know what? Let's deal with this issue so that this issue doesn't become a thing in our fellowship. Because he wants us to walk with him in just this clean, clear conscience and, and just this freedom of fellowship and relationship. And how do you stay there? Repentance. It's love. Look at Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke. Because the Lord disciplines those he what? Loves. As a father, the son he delights in. Right? Look at Revelation 3, 14, or 3, 19, 20. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. He's writing to a church, right? And this church has kind of become, become complacent, materially comfortable, Right? Church of Laodicea. 
They're like, ah, oh, we're good. They're rich. They're comfortable. And he says, no, 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 no. Right? He says, you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. That's the truth. This is your real spiritual need. He's calling them out because the relationship isn't what it should be. And Jesus, in love, says, hey, repent. Because I want our relationship to be right. I want our relationship to be right. And then I love this picture. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. That, again, that verse usually is taken out of context as evangelistic. Right? Hey, unbeliever, open your heart. No. In context, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. Who is he talking to? The church. A church that had become so self-satisfied, so apathetic, so complacent that it didn't even, Jesus wasn't even invited anymore. They didn't need him. And Jesus says, hey, 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 hey. Those whom I love, I rebuke and dis- I love you so much. And I just want our relationship to be right. Repent. Change your mind. Change your heart about this issue and do something about it. Do something about it. Right. And here's the crazy thing. Right. I've done this before. Right. He's talking to a church and Jesus isn't here. He's out here. Hello. Hello. Can I come in? Hello. Hello. That's who he's talking to. That's the context of that verse. There's an entire church and Jesus is on the outside of the door asking the church if he can come in. And what is the basis of him coming in? Repentance. And what is repentance? Change your mind. Change your heart about this issue. And do something about it. Do something about it in accord with God's will. Why? Because he loves you. It's all about love. It's that new covenant. Follow Jesus. Remember, follow follow your rabbi so close that you're covered in his what? Dust. Well, If I'm trying to follow Rabbi Scott, right, and and we're supposed to follow our rabbi so close that I'm covered in his dust. So Scott's walking, right, and he goes back. I might bump into him, right? But when Scott turns left, if I'm going, oh, where'd you go? See, if I'm trying to follow my rabbi, if he goes that way, I'm supposed to go this way, right? I'm following his lead. So when he makes a turn, he makes a turn. If I'm going this way, who's in the wrong? I got to repent. I got to change my mind, and I got to do something, which is get right back behind him. Thank you, Scott. That's all it is. That's, that's what this walk with Jesus is. Follow him. Where is he going? Here's the travel guide. It's right here. And this is where our walk gets real. This is where it comes to life. When you say, Lord, okay, speak to me. He goes, are you sure? Yeah. Okay. Well, that issue of worry. That issue of worry. Anyone here worry? What? A little bit? Well, in, in Matthew 6, three times, what does he say? Do not worry. Right? Do not worry. Do not worry. Do not worry. How many of you have read that and said, I shouldn't worry? 
How many of you still worried? Because that's just me. I've always just worried. I've worried. I'm just a worrier, right? What is repentance? I'm going to give you an example of how we do this, right? So Matthew 6, 25 to 34 says, don't worry, three times. It's a command. Ball back in our court. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Okay. A whole long list of our words. I could use a bunch of them for this worry issue. But Lord, I'm going to choose repentance this time. I'm going to choose to work through this issue of repentance, which means I'm going to change my mind and my heart about worry, and I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to make this real. It's no more theory. It's not information. I'm going to make this real, this issue of worry. Right? That's where these, these passage comes to life. Right? And I love this because here it says this. Do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your what? And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. What is the basis of not worrying? The fact that what? Your heavenly Father knows what you need. See, here's the point. Here's our challenge. If it says, "Do not worry, do not worry," we tend to make it about me. Oh, bad, bad worrier, bad worrier, bad worrier. Oh, worried again, worried again. There you go. Put the backpack on. Versus reading it, what it says, it says your father in heaven knows you need it. Hmm. Let me change my mind about this issue of worry. I'm a child of God. Father, you know what I need. Maybe if I change my heart and my mind to focus on you knowing what I need. And you being God Almighty whom can provide everything I need. Maybe if my heart and mind is focused on you. The worry takes care of itself. That's repentance. You change your heart and your mind. You do something different. In this case, focus on God and who he is and his character and his provision versus your own repeated failures. He shows things in my life. He shows things in your life because he what? Loves you. And he wants you to be like him. Right? That's the joy. That's the journey called sanctification. And honestly, guys, that's the freedom we have. Because turn to the person next to you and say, I'm not perfect either. Right? Turn to the person next to you and say, there are areas right now that I need to repent. Go ahead. There are areas right now. We all got them. There are areas I need to repent. There, Right? Right? And if you say there's nothing, then you need to repent of lying, right? So we are here together as a church family. We have been called to, to, to speak God's word. We believe it's truth. We believe it's given for our benefit. It, it's how we're sanctified. It's how we're set apart. We can be faithful to preach it, teach it, whether it's here, Monday night Bible study, men's group. We're going to do that. And we're going to do it in reliance on the Holy Spirit. We're going to speak the truth in love. And I've had it spoken to me too. And I understand it's not comfortable and it's not painful. But if it's of the Lord, it's of the Lord. Amen? And all of us together on this journey of sanctification, guys, we're just a journey of repentance together. 
And you know what that does? It levels the playing field as far as humility. Amen? I'm in repentance. You're in repentance. Let's just, let's just love one another. Let's just bear each other's burdens. Let's just pray for one another. Because until we get to heaven, no one's got it wired. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you, God, that repentance is a lifestyle. That you show us things in your word because you love us and you want us to be more and more like you, Jesus. Thank you that repentance is a joyful thing. It's a good thing. You, 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 you've given us your word. You've given us the Holy Spirit. Lord, not in condemnation, but in freedom and joy to follow you. And then to love one another and help one another and sharpen one another and care for one another. All under repentance. And Lord, perhaps this morning, we've heard a lot, but now we need to do. Not put it off, not wait, not file it away into our Bibles, but do something. Have a change of mind, a change of heart, and do something in accordance with your will. So if you're here this morning and, and your step of repentance is to come to Jesus, then do that. Rest fully in who Jesus is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Just rest in Jesus. Rest in Jesus, who he is. And if you're a believer and God is showing you areas in your life, he's revealing it, do something. Do something. We all can see ourselves in that list of our words, but now it's time to do something. We need to repent. We just need to live lives of repentance. Do something with what God has told you to do today. In the power of the Spirit. In the fellowship of the church. Do something practical, real, tangible with what God has spoken to your heart.